0: I'm going to go straight to my four points on this text this evening. You have in this the inner test of conversion. If a man love me, it's as simple as that. The inner test of conversion. Then you have also the outer test of conversion. He will keep my words. That's how we know. And then thirdly, there is the outer onward blessing of conversion. My Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode, our dwelling place, with him. So, there's the inward, outward, and the onward points to this tonight. Look at verse 23 with me. See this inward test. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. And today our message is Love, Tried, Tested, and True. And we'll be looking at John's Gospel. We have a hymn, And Can It Be That I Should Gain An Interest in the Savior's Blood? And then we have a closing word from Mr. Spurgeon on the subject of sin. So stay tuned with us right through the program, as today from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church, we bring you the message of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Thank you for joining with us. May the Lord bless you richly through His Word. We're turning to John's gospel tonight, to chapter 14, and we have four verses four verses that I want to look at, uh, beginning at verse 21, John chapter 14, uh, reading from verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judas saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. What well, John 3.16 is in gospel preaching, this text, verse 23, he that loveth me, uh, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. This text is to the Christian that is seeking a deeper life, a higher life, a mountaintop experience to plummet the depths of real Bible Christianity. I would call this text— the essence or the heartbeat of Bible Christianity. If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him. There is a question that comes up many times, and that is, does God have favorites? Those of his own blood-washed, redeemed children that he draws nearer to than others? Well you can answer that question by thinking of Abraham. Abraham was an obvious favorite of the Lord. Out of all the Old Testament saints, God called him his friend. I knew him. Then also think of John. Out of each of the disciples John is called the beloved one who physically rested on Jesus' breast during those years. Without any carnality, there was a deep affection in the heart of John for the Savior. And the Lord reciprocated, allowing John an inner blessed experience of the Savior's love that was truly deep and genuine. Now comes the question— Can I have that? Can I be one of the Lord's favorites? Can I be like an Abram? Can I be like John the Beloved? Well, for the sake of, well, mercy to those who suffer heat, I'm going to go straight to my four points on this text this evening. You have in this the inner test of conversion. If a man loved me, it's as simple as that the inner test of conversion. Then you have also the outer test of conversion. He will keep my words. That's how we know. And then thirdly, there is the onward blessing of conversion. My Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode our dwelling place with him. So, there's the inward-outward and the onward points to this tonight. Look at verse 23 with me. See this inward test. If a man love me, what kind of a question is this? Well, it is the question of love. Does love save our souls? Absolutely not. The instrument of our salvation is faith, and we believe in sola, Fide, faith alone. There is, it is not a mixture of faith and love that brings us into union with our Savior so that we are justified. We are justified by faith alone. Yet, the New Testament in Galatians tells us that faith worketh by love the moment that you have the gift and blessing of faith, there will be in your soul a new love for the Savior. Jesus' name will be a precious name. And Peter said it well, whom having not seen, we will. Love. So this becomes the test of our conversion. No man calls Jesus Lord, but by the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit that opens up the eyes of our understanding to see the Lord Jesus, to know him, to experience him, and to truly delight in him. In the marvel of God's creation, he created us with a capacity to love. Otherwise, we would be mere robots. We are created in the image of God that we might worship and express our love to him. And when we are born again, that love is wrought within us our hearts. And, of course, you have the royal commandment that we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is not uh, an option. That is compulsory. That is an ultimate. That is something we are to truly love. Now, by nature, we love things, We love the new car. We love the new house. We love the new boat. We love the material things. And that worldly love is in the heart of men and women all around us. And how excited we get about things, things that are good enough in their place. They're not useless, but they're temporary. They are fleeting. They are passing. That car you bought 20 years ago, you might still sail around in it, but it's not the same anymore. That house that was built half a century ago probably needs a a renovation. Things lose their shine. But if you look at verse 21, you'll notice that the emphasis is on loving the Lord Jesus. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And that's the test. Do you love the Lord Jesus? with all your failures, with all your foibles, with all your weaknesses, with all the struggles in life, with all the opportunities that you've missed, can you say tonight that you truly in your heart love the Lord Jesus? That's the test of your conversion. Gratiam Machen, who was in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, one of the founders who came out of the Presbyterian Church of USA, way back in 1930s, due to liberalism and modernism, and he founded Westminster Seminary uh, in the Philadelphia area. He was a Greek scholar, and he would take his students into the classroom, and one day he said to them, the ultimate expression of Christian theology is simply this. And with tears he quoted— Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells him so. He was not just an intellectual linguist. He was in love with the Lord Jesus. And that is the heartbeat of Bible Christianity. This love, of course, is translated into our worship— We give our devotion, our heart's desires to the Lord. And when you get on your knees to pray, what is the first thing you pray? You tell the Lord you love him. You tell the Lord that you delight in him, that he is your Savior, and you rejoice in all his grace that comes to you. When the Lord restored Peter, the three questions he had for him was, Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? Now, we know that correlated to the three denials, but the the issue, the real heart question was love. Peter, do you love me? I'm not asking you, Peter, are you perfect? I'm not asking you, do you truly repent and regret all that happened that night? He did not open up those wounds again— But the Lord asked him, lovest thou me? And when Peter humbly said, Yes, Lord, I love you, with a a human love, he did not use the word agape, that higher love. He humbly said, Yes, Lord, I love you as much as is humanly possible. And the Lord said, Feed my lambs, feed my sheep. There was the reinstatement of a ministry to Peter. And this is the test— This is the inner test, the test of our love to the Lord Jesus. We love him because he first loved us. We move now to the outward test, and that is in verse 23, where it says, if a man love me, he will keep my words, his words. In other places, it is his commandments. Uh, Verse 21, he that hath... My commandments and keepeth them. You see, there is no phoniness allowed here. It is not the talk alone, but it is the walk with the Lord that is important. And the born-again believer will be known as a lover of the commands, the statements, the the, uh, commands of the Lord to his heart. In Bible language, he is a doer of the word, and not a hearer only. And in the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord Jesus closed with that whole issue when he talked about uh, the, well, the whole Beatitudes, and how he came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. And he raised the bar on all who would walk with God. And then he said, it is not him that is a hearer, but a doer of his word. And he went on to talk about what, wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, the man building on the sand versus building on the rock. Now, which are you doing tonight? Are you building on a phony fabrication of truth? Or are you truly a lover of the words, the commands, Of the Lord Jesus, and that is the outward test. Now, what will such a man or woman look like? In real terms, in our generation, in our day, if we bump into such a person tomorrow, what might we expect from their life and from their walk with God? Well, he will be a keen to search God's will, one who loves the Lord's words one who loves His commandments. You will be a person that will be keen to search out God's will for your life. Now, there's two parts to that. There is the general will of God. That's His will for all Christians in all the world. And then there is the particular will of God for you and you and for me separately. Now, the Lord's general will for all His Christians, we could say, We could preach them from the Ten Commandments, the moral law, right versus wrong, truth versus error. Every Christian is to be a man or woman of truth. Every Christian is to love the commands of God. We know that it is the rule of our lives. And in Reformed doctrine, there are three uses of the law one, it is to sustain society, that's common grace. So it applies to the man down the street. It applies to the person who took the gun this week and used it as an instrument or a weapon of murder. He's under the law, the moral law of God. It also is used in conviction of sin. We preach the law so that people are brought to the point where they recognize they're lost under God's judgment and and they need a Savior. So, that's the second use of the law. The third use of the law is it is a rule of life for the Christian. You want to know what is God's will for you in every situation. His law applies. Now, I say that's summed up in the Ten Commandments. You can also take the teachings of the Lord Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, and it applies to all of those things. So, that's the general will of God. And this is now the person who professes faith in Christ, who says, I love the Lord Jesus. We will seek to watch him walk in the light of his word. And then there's the particular will of God for my life and your life. Think of these eleven disciples. None of them went the same direction. If we add Paul to the patch, we know that He went to Asia Minor, planted churches, ended up in Rome, where he was executed. So he was an evangelist, a preacher at Rome. Then we think of Philip. We learned of him last week. He was in Samaria. He went to Azotus. He ended up in Caesarea, all of that within the land of Israel. Now, Philip was the deacon. I, I better not mix my uh, man here. Philip was the deacon. was just pointing out that God leads his people in different directions. Peter, well, he was preaching to various diaspora in different places. Ended up in Babylon. Peter never went to Rome, by the way. There is no evidence that Peter ever went to Rome. He certainly was not the minister or the bishop of Rome when Paul wrote the letter to the Romans, not a reference to Peter in all the book of Romans. Thomas, the uh, disciple or apostle, he ended up in India. In southern India, there is today a strong remnant of Christians, and they call themselves Thomasite Christians. Christians. And so, John, he ended up in exile, died a natural death on the Isle of Patmos. So, God's will for each of those men was different. He led them in different ways. And so, the Christian who is redeemed and saved, he will be a person who will pray, "'Teach me thy way, O Lord.'" And this will become the will of God, the work of God, within his own heart. When it comes to marriage, who is planning to get married here? I see a few eligible people um, who is thinking of a new career. You may not end up doing what your mom or dad did. You may not end up doing at all what your friends at school are planning to do. You've got a different plan in mind, but it better be the Lord's plan. And you need to be praying, Lord, teach me thy way. In the book of Psalms, which is really the prayer book of the Old Testament, you have so many prayers that begin with, teach me, I'll just rattle them off. We'll not look them all up tonight. But Psalm 2711, Teach me thy way, O Lord. Lead me in a plain path. That's a personal, individual prayer. Teach me. Lead me in a plain path. And then in the goodness of God, he comes to answer that prayer in the Christian's life. And that you want to know His will in your soul. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gollard again, and I have another quote from Mr. Spurgeon on the nature of sin. You may best measure the sin by the punishment. Depend on it, God will not put his creatures to a single pang more of pain than justice absolutely demands. God does not stretch his creature on the rack like a tyrant. He will give him but what he deserves. And perhaps even when God's wrath is fiercest against sin, He does not punish the sinner so much as his sin might warrant. There will not be a grain more of wormwood in the cup of the lost than naked justice absolutely requires. Then, O my God, if thy creatures are to be cast into a lake that burns with fire and brimstone, if into a pit that is bottomless, lost souls must be driven, then what a hideous thing sin must be! I cannot understand that torture, therefore. I cannot understand the guilt that deserves it. Doubtless, every sin is a God-provoking thing. It stirs him to jealousy. As the blood of Abel cried, Vengeance, so does sin. It is a thorn in the side of justice, a stab at the heart of truth. God's great patience is expended at a tremendous rate by the sins of men. Sin is the mother and nurse of all evil, the egg of all mischief, the fountain of bitterness, the root of misery. Here you have the distilled essence of hell, the quintessence, of, as the old theologians would say, of everything that is unlovely, disreputable, dishonest, impure, abominable, in a word, damnable. Out with your knife, man, and cut the throat of every iniquity. Why, there is no sin for which it is worth your while to be damned. A genuine Christian dreads sin. He will not say, Is it not a little one? For he knows that a little sin is like a small dose of a very potent poison. It is sufficient to destroy our peace and comfort. The very least offence against God is so intolerable that if hell fire were put out, one sin could kindle it again. There is no water so deep, but fish will swim in it. No pond so foul, but frogs will live in it. No mire so filthy, but swine will wallow in it. And no sin so damnable, but man will commit it. Sin indeed is hell, hell in embryo, hell in essence, hell kindling, hell emerging from the shell. Hell is but sin when it has manifested and developed itself to the full. Sin is like the beal of goods which came from the east to this city in the olden time, which brought the pest in it. Probably it was but a small beal but yet it contained in the deaths of hundreds of the inhabitants of london atlas with the world on his back had a light load compared with a sinner on whom the mountains of sin and wrath are piled it were to be it were to be worse than damned to be happy in sin These are just a number of quotes from Mr. Spurgeon on the subject, culled from his preaching. And it makes you realize that the old preachers preached not only the love of God, but the wrath of God against man's sin. I trust you'll take these things to heart today and flee from sin. Flee rather to the cross, where sin is cleansed and washed away, and where you are justified by the blood of Jesus, made white as snow. May the Lord save your soul and lead you to the cross of Calvary. You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.l or if you would like to talk with me one on one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 1879058 Avenue, Surrey, BC V3S 1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway